Welcome to Connecting the Dollars, a personal finance podcast. I'm Emily Augusto, a CPA and financial advisor. And I'm Amanda Vaught, attorney and financial advisor. Both Emily and I are co-owners at Propel Financial Advisors. Propel Financial Advisors is an investment management and financial planning company. We are fee-only fiduciaries and independent registered investment advisors. I'm based in Chicago and Amanda is in New York City, but we work with clients nationwide. The purpose of our podcast is to explore personal finance topics, including budgeting, investing, behavioral finance, current events, and other helpful information. We also hope you'll get to know us along the way. Thanks for listening. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Emily. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, I think you you survived another tax season, right? Yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy. So in my tax world, everyone thinks April is the tax deadline, which it is, but really the tax deadline extends into October every year for us. So we're still pretty busy over the summer and there's always a rush at the finish. So I can officially say 2021 is over. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. And then I know you have a trip lined up to go to Vermont, mm -hmm. um, which is so beautiful this time of year. So I'm excited to just get out of the city and not think about anything. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, I know I think today is a little bit, I don't know, a bittersweet, if that's the right word, because we're wrapping up season one of our podcast. We started this last November and I feel like we've come a long way. Yeah, I think when we when we started this, we didn't really know what to expect or how long we would actually stick to it. So, yeah, I'm proud of us. We did we got 18 episodes in and this is our final episode of season 1. Yes, season 1 because we have learned that we do love doing this podcast and we plan to continue it. Um but we are going to make some changes uh that will you'll see soon on season yeah. 2. So we're going to pause our regular posting for the next couple of months and work on a new format and maybe some new exciting things coming for season two. Yes. And we also want to just take a moment and thank all of our listeners um, who've tuned in and supporters. We really appreciate you. Yes. Thank you so much. So getting into this final episode, it is going to be a discussion with Amanda and David Vaught, who's been on the show a few times. And what is the topic going to be, Amanda? We're going to talk about international markets. Uh, I think a lot of times on this podcast, we do tend to stick to domestic, what's going on domestically um, in the U.S. stock market or bond market. Um, but what's happening internationally can have a large impact on your investment portfolio and even your personal finances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a well-diversified portfolio, you usually do have some domestic uh, investments and as well as international investments, so it does affect you at the end of the day. Yes, yes. And then it's also a great time to travel to, you know, overseas, someplace you've been eyeing. Now that everything's opening up with COVID, it's getting easier to travel. It is a, it is a great time to travel if you do use the US dollar because it's just so strong. The exchange rate is definitely in our favor. It's a great time to take advantage of that. Yeah, get a little bonus. We hope you enjoy it. Yep. 
Thanks for tuning in. Okay, uh, this is Amanda. I'm here today with David Vaught. He's joining us here on our podcast to talk about international markets, uh, a great topic. Uh, we're going to get into, you know, why you should care about international markets, how they impact your portfolio and sort of, and what's really going on with them right now. So welcome, David. Uh, you're in our season finale. So thanks for joining us today. Well, I look forward to the next season too. Oh yeah. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> so do you want to help us out? What do you think about international? I mean, usually when we are on this podcast, we're talking about the stock market. It's we're talking about domestic United States markets, but the, um, it's a big world we live in and there's a lot of other economies and a lot of other stock markets out there. So, um, what do you think is important to know about international markets? Well, I think the first thing is not to be distracted by the headlines. You know, there are a lot of geopolitical risk out there and prime ministers resigning and, and uh, dictators in China threatening uh, Formosa or you know, Taiwan across the Formosa Straits. Uh, that's not what the ballgame is about when you're investing in international markets. You're looking for different opportunities. You're looking for profits and whether companies can continue to grow and make money. Mm -hmm. So they do give you a lot of diversification benefits. Yeah, I think diversification is traditionally a big reason uh, for investing internationally. The diversification benefits as globalization has proceeded have come down a little bit. Everything's a little more similar than it used to be. Uh, but the other one that often does not get discussed is just the opportunity set, you know? If you have a larger opportunity set, you have more things to choose from, you're going to find a lot of, of good opportunities. You're going to find better opportunities. If you narrow your opportunity set, you're leaving out those opportunities. You're not even considering them. So if you're not in the international markets, you've narrowed your opportunity set way down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're thinking about, I mean, a lot of companies these days are, are global right? Yeah. Rather than regional or country specific. So company like uh, Row, like what? Toyota. Toyota. Road. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're in Japan, but they sell their cars in the US or worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, pharmaceutical companies based in Europe sell drugs to the US. Um, you know, luxury um, makers are maybe based out of France, but a lot of their market is in the United States or China. So um, just because the, the company is located in a specific place doesn't mean that their market is limited plus to plus that. they're located region. all over. Yeah. One of the biggest employers in Evansville, Indiana is Toyota. Uh, and they draw- Oh, really? For, oh yeah, they draw employees for, uh, they got a manufacturing plant just north of the city and they draw employees in a 50 or 100 mile radius. So they're a big part of the local economy in Indiana and Southern Illinois. Um, and they don't, they don't make all their cars in Japan anymore and put them on ships and send them over here. They make them here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people when they're investing, they do have this domestic bias, we call it, where they sort of over invest in their home country. Like people from the U.S. invest in the United States companies and they might think of international companies as like, Oh, what's that? But it's really companies you probably already know, like Toyota, for example. Or um, so it's not just because it's called international doesn't mean 
it's foreign to you. You're probably yeah. familiar with a lot of, especially the larger companies. Yeah, the, the behavioral finance people consider the domestic bias, sometimes they call it home bias, a puzzle that they can't quite figure out because it doesn't make any analytical sense at all. Uh, and But it exists and it doesn't just exist in this country where our investors are by, you know, they're, they would rather buy. I mean, I, I, uh, I like buying John Deere. I'm comfortable with John Deere. It's an Illinois company. It's a farm company. Domestic bias is not just country. It's often the things that are close to you that you know, and that has an impact on international investing. It's decreasing. I saw some uh, statistics that, uh, that now the average United portfolio of investors in the United States is in 28% foreign assets. Now that includes institutional money. With individuals, it's actually smaller, but there's a lot of institutional money that wants to be very well diversified. They've, they have helped drive that investment up to 28%. At 20 years and ago, I'll just, 21. Oh, I just, I just want to interject and just say by institutional money, you mean like pension funds and, and endowments insurance, and large. In, yeah, insurance companies. Insurance companies, okay. You know, all sorts of, uh, of, of funds. But to go from 21 to 28, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, you know, that's still way below the economy. You know, it's it's roughly the domestic economy is half the world economy, maybe even a little less today, um, depending on how you you calculate it. But if if our uh, you know if the United States is fifty percent of the world economy, but investors put uh, you know seventy two percent of their money in U.S. companies, it's a little out of whack, and that's the puzzle. Why why does why don't the investments of people that are trying to find good companies to make money, you know, reflect the, the, the reality of the global economy, what you were talking about, the global economy. Yeah. And they, well, and isn't, they there that, isn't there that famous Warren Buffett quote where he says something like, invest in what you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's people necessarily listening to Warren Buffett. <laughs> that's why they well, do they it. Should but, more, but that's not a matter. Probably, but, you know, I, you see examples where if you say, an investor in England puts 60% of their portfolio in only companies in England. And you're like, well, why would they be doing that? That doesn't make sense. And you say, well, why do you put 60% of your portfolio in the United States? Well, oh, you know, it's a little bit differently when you, when you frame it a little bit differently, makes you think about it. Um, that's, an, that's one of the issues. And they do perform differently. And uh, here lately, we've seen that the strength of the dollar has caused them to perform differently because when you invest in Europe or elsewhere in the world, you know, you're basically investing in companies that operate on the euro or the yen or some other currency. And then when you bring that money back to dollars where you're going to spend it in this economy, you, you, that, that strength of the dollar makes a difference and you, uh, you pay a penalty uh, when the dollar is strong. Yeah, and that currency exchange rate can really hurt you when the dollar is strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were long periods back, you know, you know, I think twenty years ago, but it, you know, some more recent than that, when the opposite was true, the dollar was weak, and um, you know, then then they, you got a boost out of uh, investing in euros. You know, same thing happens in the farm economy. You know. If, the farmers like a weak dollar because it helps them export their grain 
had a better price. When the dollar is strong, you know, they, they suffer that same problem that uh, international investors have. So the, the, the strength of currencies affects different companies in different parts of the economy in different ways. And in an increasingly sophisticated global economy, the companies take a lot of that into account. They do a lot of watching their own currency risk within, you know, where their profits and where their revenues are coming from. So some of it gets worked out by those stronger uh, or more nimble um, uh, global companies. Uh, but, but but the general rule, if you're buying a mutual fund and it's a it's a European you know based investment, uh, you're going to get hurt with a strong dollar. Yeah, and another topic I wanted to touch on today too was what we call emerging markets, which is a a part of the international markets, but you know, finance professionals break the world economy into a separate segment called emerging markets, which is covers companies that are considered a little more, I don't know if unstable is the right word, but maybe riskier. Um, But the main country that's considered in the emerging markets is China. And China has gone from being this, you know, darling of the investor world, you know, everybody putting money into China, 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 they're growing middle class, it's just printing money. And now over the past year, I mean, the bottom has essentially dropped out of China. Um, so, they you know, what do you state, th- they have a lot of state owned companies. We've all seen what happened to the state owned companies in the Soviet Union. You know, they drug the whole economy down. China has a lot of those. And they also have a dictatorial and ideological based government that's not very good at listening. It's not very good at feedback. And so, you know, they've, they've created a big mess in the real estate market in, in China because they wanted to stimulate their economy, over-invest, and they've built a lot of buildings and there's nobody to rent them, there's nobody to buy them. And that hurts their whole financial system. So they've got that drag of that improper allocation of uh, resources um, you know, you know, by the dictatorial uh, uh, regime, um, and it's hurting them. And then, you know, they get distracted on worrying about uh, Taiwan and whether Taiwan ought to be part of China, which it never was. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that kind of distraction into uh, devoting resources to that kind of wasteful military spending, it's never going to work, um, is, uh, is, is hurting them. So that creates opportunities elsewhere, though, because the emerging markets or where most of the growth is, or the strongest growth is in the world. And so, uh, you know, India is growing a lot faster right now than China. There's lots of opportunity, and there have been times when Brazil and Latin America grew a lot faster than China. Ghana, in the current um, IMF forecast, is going to have very strong growth in Africa, which is new, uh, because Africa has been lagging for a long time. So the there's lots of other opportunities out there. And then the other thing I want to mention, Amanda, there's also different ways to approach it because the traditional definition of emerging markets has been companies based in the companies based in those countries, right? And increasingly people are looking uh, for, and you know, one of the funds we like uh, does that. They look at the sales in those companies, the activity in that company, that country. They're not worried about where the company is based. They're worried about where its activity is, where its revenue stream is coming from, where it's making investments. And they can be based in uh, in New York City and be investing in the emerging markets heavily. So um, it's, that's 
the opportunity set in the international world is also more complicated to look at and observe and a little further away and not quite as uh, apparent as what John Deere is doing or, you know, how well the farm crops are doing, you know, that we can just look out the window and see. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point because, you know, earlier we were talking about country or excuse me, companies based in Japan or Europe you know, it's the other side of the coin, companies based maybe in the US, but say they develop a great market in China, for example, or another country. Um, so you don't, you can get exposure to say the new Chinese middle class. Uh, that way, you don't necessarily have to take the risk of buying a company in China itself that could be subject to currency risk or geopolitical risk or state takeover, what, what have you, any of the other your, risks of the emerging your point about Your point about the middle class is huge because that's a big driver of the emerging markets. Uh, but what's happening in the emerging markets, uh, all of them to some extent, is that very poor people, uh, you know, living in subsistence agricultural communities uh, from hand to mouth, literally, are moving in in the growth in those countries, in those economies, they're moving into middle class and they're buying refrigerators and they're buying, uh, they're, you know, they're putting in electricity that they didn't have and they're putting in higher quality water systems for health. They're putting in educational systems. They're doing everything that the middle class has done in the rest of the world to increase their standard of living. And that creates a lot of, a lot of things to sell to people, whether they're made in that country or they're made somewhere else and shipped in. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I do also want to bring up England that um, has been going through a lot of turmoil in their market lately. What do you think about the impact there on international markets? You think that's going to well, calm down soon or you think that's just going to continue to cause turmoil? No, they've got a longer term problem because they've got their own form of political instability uh, where they got freaked out about the uh, European Union and wanted to withdraw from the European Union. I mean, you know, that's like these things you hear about, you know, in some states now that the, you know, the less, you know, part of the state wants to withdraw from the rest of the state 50 or 100 miles down the road because they don't like something that happened there. I mean, you know, the, the English Channel is what, 26 miles at its narrowest point? You know, they're saying we don't want to trade with our neighbors that are not even 50 miles away. Uh, so they've created a problem for themselves by trying to be isolated uh, by the by the uh, English Channel when the whole world is globalized and they've got a railroad that runs under it now. Um, and you always could cross it, you know, if it wasn't bad weather, pretty, pretty easily. So that's been going on for a few years and it's it's i think caused a greater form of political instability and economic instability that's now coming home to roost in the political system i mean um you know the the now just about former prime minister was proposing some kind of amazing sounding uh economic reforms and tax reforms and huge tax cuts and uh they just didn't sell even in you know, to, to other parts of her party uh, in uh, in England, and she had to appoint her one of her political opponents to be Chancellor of the Exchequer because her plan was falling apart before it was even implemented. Um, that's that's a little tougher. It's going to take a while, and then you put on top of that the problems with 
uh, energy supply uh, and, and having been dependent on some of that coming from the Russians. And now the Russians are up to no good, as they often are. And um, uh, it, seems, it goes in cycles. But historically, they've caused a lot of trouble in the world. And it's nothing, so in that, that sense, it's nothing new. But, but the whole energy dependency on the Russians is going to affect uh, not just the uh, uh, Great Britain, uh, uh, but um, Germany, France, and Spain, and Italy, too. So there's some challenges yet to be seen in Europe, and uh, it's slowing down. We're seeing projected growth in other places like Japan and Canada. Um, and Latin-, Latin America, too. Yeah, yeah. but, yeah, but it's, it's hurting um, uh, in, in that part of the world, and it um, may, may take a while to get worked through it. Yeah, I think most analysts, every analyst expects Europe to enter into a recession here soon, and they're going to be hurting a lot more than the U.S., general consensus so at least in the short term but you know while that is the short-term environment we still for most of our clients we take a more long-term view um that these things these short-term factors will will even out in time and eventually you know europe is europe it's still a rich part of the world and they'll come out of it at some point so um, well, there are other ways to get energy in the world, whether it's liquefied natural gas or uh, uh, solar and, and wind uh, or even nuclear. And as they adjust their uh, energy system in Europe, uh, it's going re- to require some capital. It's going to require some investment. And mm-hmm. uh, these are going to make a lot of money. Uh, making yeah. that. So there's other ways to look at it and see the opportunities long term uh, in the midst of the turmoil. Yeah, I think a lot of Europe was well on their way to the transition to renewable energy, and um, this could be what it takes to really accelerate that that um, theme. So, uh, so I think we've covered a lot of the points we wanted to cover today. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to touch on that that we've missed? I, I just think that. You know, if you're if you're wanting to follow the markets and and be confident in having a good investment strategy, and of course, you know, we try to help people with that. Um, you know, read something besides your local. I mean, I, I'm all for reading local papers, but a lot of local papers really don't have a grasp on what's going on internationally. And there are many other sources today on on the internet, good quality sources on the internet. I mean, the Economist magazine. Uh, that give you a better perspective on what's going on in the world economically. So I would just, uh, you know, you know, as the world changes, you know, take a close look at it because there's a lot of opportunity yet there too. Yeah, that's very true. Um, some people think, you know, this could be the end of a globalization or the beginning of a more regional approach that many countries are taking after, um, you know, China's zero COVID policy where they shut down all the factories and they really messed up the supply chains. Um, you know, dependence on Russian oil is making people question, you know, do we, is globalization really good? Um, you know, if Putin can go in and mess up the whole system and cause this big recession, how is that helping us? So, 
Um, I think, you know, it will take some more time to see how that shakes out over the long term, but um, I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, the efficiency of globalization is, is still going to be a factor, but you know, it, it wasn't quite robust enough to take on some of the stresses uh, that have come about, uh, you know, due to geopolitical or other change. And um, that's going to get remedy. That's another, that's another investment uh, opportunity. You know, we've been saying for some time that, you know, investing in infrastructure in the global economy is probably a good idea because it addresses many of those problems, whether it's ports or our airports or our, uh, you know, electrical grids or whatever it is. There's many of those mm -hmm. opportunities that are changing in order to create that kind of sustainable and robust system that's not just efficient, but is also uh, able to withstand some stress. Yeah. And um, I just want to point out another opportunity is if you've never traveled to Japan before, it's a beautiful country, the amazing food incredibly nice people, um, in my experience. And right now the exchange rate is so good. I heard from someone today that, you know, they've never had a cheaper hotel room in Japan or a cheaper meal. Um, so, you know, that's where the strong dollar or these terminal in the markets can really be to your, to your benefit in your, in your personal life too, outside of outside of just investing in your investment portfolio. So I just got it's a nice thought, tea delivery uh, here, Amanda. So I, when I know we're not on camera, but if you hear the iced tea arriving, you can thank Susie. Oh, okay. So we'll definitely keep that commentary in. We won't edit that out. <laughs> you always need a good iced tea to get you through a podcast. That's right. You know? yeah, the iced yeah, tea so. here, the iced tea here you buy for a dollar a half. And it's just as good as Starbucks, maybe better. Okay, did we cover it, Amanda, or do we need something to wrap up? I think we're good. I think we're good. I think that hopefully, you know, our listeners enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions, we're always here to help. So please reach out and we'll talk to you soon. And think about looking long-term internationally because that's where the action is. Thank you to Amanda and David for such a great conversation on international investing. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at info at connectingthedollars.com. Also, all of our previous season one podcasts, as well as any links and resources mentioned today, can be found at connectingthedollars.com. Any specific references to investments today should not be taken as investment advice. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you during season two. For all links and resources mentioned today, head over to connectingthedollars.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.